0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you have loved us and that you care for us. We ask that you guide and lead us as we study your word, that your spirit will show us what you'd have us to learn from all of this. And we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 41. The consonant on this one is VU, which means nail or peg, is what the consonant stands for. let your mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even your salvation according to your word. So shall I have with, wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of the truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your judgments. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies, also before kings and will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto your commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate at, in your statutes. So I want to look at this and start to continuing this. I love this psalm because it really is a love song, not just to God, but his word and how precious his word is for the whole psalm. Let your mercies come upon me, O Lord, even your salvation according to your word. Let your mercies, your forgiveness, your your not giving me what I deserve, come upon me. And then he goes, if that's not enough, even your salvation, his rescue. Have you ever thought about what all God has rescued us from in our lifetime? You know, just at very least, He's rescued us from hell. But that's, you know, and that's a big deal. But also, all the things that he rescues us from, the pains that we have, the suffering we have, that he is there to give us strength through our trials, through our troubles. He rescues us from all that goes on. He doesn't allow anything to come into our life that is more than we we can handle with him. There hath no temptation overtaken us, but such is common to man, but God is faithful. Who will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able? That's a rescue. That's part of his salvation. He gives us the ability when our eyes are focused on him to walk above our problems. We think of Peter climbing out of the boat in the middle of the storm. He did really well as long as he kept his eyes focused on Jesus. But it says he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm and immediately started sinking. He's our rescue. He's our salvation. In the middle of storms, if we keep our eyes focused on him, he has us walking above the storms, above the trials, above the problems. The peace that we have when our eyes are focused on him. People ask, well, how do we get through these things? Keep your eyes focused on God. Keep your attention focused on him. Meditate upon him, as he says, you now, according to your word, whenever there's a really hard spot in our life, we need to remember what does God say about it? What does God say? And trust what he says. You know, our facts are not that important. Our faith is very important. What do we have our faith in? What is true? Satan comes along, and I've said this before, Satan comes along with all kinds of facts. Okay? Okay. God says that we are forgiven and we are perfect. Satan will come along with the facts that we're worthless and terrible and awful. The question is, are we gonna believe the facts that Satan is throwing at us, or are we gonna believe what God says is true? Most of the time, unfortunately, we believe what Satan says is as true because we know that it's factual. You know, I am a sinner, I am terrible, and I forget what God says. And then if we bring our facts and, our, and the truth in line, then we get our feelings and say, well, you know, I just don't feel like I'm forgiven, so maybe I'm not forgiven. Maybe, maybe God is not made me his child because I don't feel like his child today. We need to be very careful about how we walk. I walk according to his word. If his word says something, I need to believe it and accept it. Because that's where our strength is. That is where our glory is going to come through, is when I just take him at his word and say, okay, God, you said it, I believe it. And that's where our salvation is. That's where our mercy is. So, there's 42, so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Again, God's word I trust in his word I put my whole faith in his word and trust we've talked many times about this trust is not just saying I believe it I think it's true it's putting all of your confidence if it is not if your trust in God is not correct you have nothing else to put your faith in nothing and you know and I've said it you know it's like repelling there comes that point where you're going down the vertical wall where everything is the whole weight is put on that rope. That is when you've trusted something. If that rope breaks, you're gone. Because all your weight is on that rope. You're not holding anything but that rope. That is what God says when he says trust, when he says believe. All of my trust is in that truth. And if that truth is not correct, I'm gone. I have no hope. Okay? And this is... How do I know that we've got heaven? Because my whole trust is that heaven is my goal. If heaven isn't my goal and God isn't faithful, then I'm out of luck. Because all my faith is put on that slender truth. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why I believe and all of that. So, I mean, we're you know, beyond that. But, but all of this, he says, I put my trust in your word. Therefore, I can answer those who have reproach, who are trying to give taunt and scorn. When I deal with somebody who says I don't believe in creation, all I do is quote back the verses on creation. I don't have anything, I don't have anything else. Now, I can quote different proofs of, of science and everything to help on it, but what is the most powerful thing we have in our arsenal to defend ourselves against attack? God's word, Period i can give you all kinds of other arguments and everything but god's word it's what he says does not return void his word does not return void so we've talked about this in the evangelism class if somebody says well i just don't believe that you know i don't believe the bible what do we use to get to to show them the gospel we use the bible well, i don't believe that book i understand but here's your here's the next verse i'm going to give you well honest I, I don't believe those verses i understand but i'm going to give you this why because it is the most powerful tool we have. It is the sword of God. It is our whole attacking mechanism, because it is true. And the wonderful thing about God's word is it does things in people's hearts that our words would never do. It will convict. It will make them think twice. We give them the gospel message. What's the gospel message? John 3.16 is a wonderful gospel message. I mean, that's the whole gospel message right in and of itself. And everybody's got it memorized. For God so loved the world. That's everybody that he gave. What did he give his son? That whosoever believeth in him, believe, put all your full trust, should not perish, but have everlasting life, should not go to hell, but have everlasting life. Very strong gospel verse. Now, you can give the whole gospel presentation with just that one verse. Go with the verses that we taught you, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you can call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Yeah. Very simple truth. Yeah. And the gospel message is so simple. We are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus paid for it. And here it says, I have the way to answer because the word is my answer. It it tells me what to say. I was talking to somebody just this last week and we were talking about how people who are rich and and famous or have all these things, you know, how could they be how could they be unhappy? And I'm going, well, Solomon in the scriptures tells us that he was the wisest man in the world and he tried everything, Then nothing would fill the place of God. Yeah. You know. And this person doesn't isn't somebody who believe, not not antagonistic against Christianity, but doesn't isn't a Christian. And you know she's looking at me like, because I keep doing this to her every time we talk. I go to the Bible, and, and you know, and she kind of looked and I go, yes, the answers for everything are in the Bible. <laughs> and I knew the question. I could see it on her face. You know, all the questions that you can have, the answers are in the Bible, period. And and it's an amazing thing. You every once in a while you hear this study done by a bunch of psychologists or scientists and everything and they come to a conclusion and it matches the bible and i'm going boy i could have saved you millions of dollars i could have just taken straight to the bible you know god's word is true and all you did was prove it with a scientific study yeah sometimes they come out with the wrong answers and they'll find out that they're wrong later on but but you know it's amazing that god has all the answers to life's problems even in our modern age because I've heard that too. Well, how could a book written, written over 2,000 years ago have all the answers I'm going because God wrote it? Amazing, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> totally uh, it. You. you read through the Bible and it's like reading today's yes. newspaper. It, you read it and there's the answer that you need for what you're facing for that day. It, everything is right there. And nothing is new under the sun. No, no problem is new. No issue is new. Uh, It's all right there, and God gave it to us 2,000 to 4,000 years ago, depending on which part of the Bible you're in. Amazing, amazing, but God knows everything, and he gave us a book that will give us the answers. Does it give us every single detailed problem that we can have? No, but the principle of all our problems are right there. And we look at it and say, your word gives me answers. You know Your word, I trust in it and it'll give me the answers to those who attack me. Verse 43 says, And take not your word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your judgments. You know, have you ever been in a place where probably you're living in sin and the truth does not seem to be in your mouth? The Bible just doesn't seem to be there because you can't think of it because you're not focused on God in the first place? Uh, During the two years that I walked away from God, it was so amazing because I remember sharing the gospel with lots of people during that period of time. I hadn't been in church. I hadn't read the Bible. I hadn't even prayed. And here I am telling people they need Jesus. Now, I don't don't know that if I was witnessing more than normal or less than normal, but I definitely remember it because all I could feel like every time I spoke that, I would feel, you're such a hypocrite. You haven't gone to church. You haven't opened the Bible. And you're telling them they need God. I was telling them the truth, they needed God. But the real truth was I needed God too. <laughs> and it was probably as focused at me as much as to them. And it says, take not, you no, know, don't snatch away your word of truth out of my mouth. How easy is it for us to kind of get so sidetracked that we let the truth disappear in our life? You know, I am haven't been to church, haven't been reading, but you know, I'm trying to follow God. How hard is it to follow God when you haven't meditated on His Word and tried to follow Him? You always end up, that's when you're in the most troubled, troubling time, you're going to get all kinds of confusion put into your life when you're trying to follow Him and you're not in His Word. That's when all kinds of weird things are going to come into your mind because you're trying to do things for God the world's way. God, let me help you, let me help you figure out how to do this. Have you ever done that in prayer? God, uh, I want you to answer this prayer, and this, I think this would really be a good way for you to answer this prayer. Like, God needs our help. Uh, I've heard some people that always tell God, God, uh, I, need a, I need this much money, and I need, a, I need a bank to give me a loan. Okay, why does the bank have to give you a loan? Why can't God just put it on somebody's heart to give you the money straight out? You know, God, uh, God just tell God you need the money. Let him figure out the details if he wants a bank to give you a loan you'll get the bank to give you a loan if he want somebody to hand you a bunch of money they'll hand you a bunch of money. let God be God and it's just an amazing thought you know because oftentimes we do that God you know I really need another car and I, I think you really need to do you know I put that application in for the for the contest and I need to win the contest because the top prize is a car god and that would be a really good way for you to <laughs> For you to give me my car that I need, you know, just make me win that contest, God. Especially if it's Viper. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even want a Viper. I or a Lamborghini, or any of those other ones. Uh. But you know, how often do we do that with God? Yes. You know, God, you need to do this with somebody, this person, and you need to do it this way. And God, you can can, can you picture, you know? Put it in another term. Your kid comes up to you, your, your little kid, three or four years old, Mom, Dad, I need this, and I think you should do it this way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we kind of look at the kid like, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. well, you might get that, but it's not going to come that way. <laughs> right. Well, you probably won't get it, you know, whatever it might be. But, you know, you think about the audacity of how sometimes we pray to God. God, this is what you must do, and this is how you're going to do it, and God's saying, uh, you know what, if I wanted you to have it, I could just create it. I don't even need to do it with anybody. I could just put, it in your, put, it, I put that new car in your garage and it wouldn't even be a problem. I could do it by somebody giving it to you. I could give you the car you actually need instead of the car you want. You know, you know, we never know what it is that God's going to do or how he's going to do it. And The problem is when we tell God how to answer the, pro, the prayer, oftentimes we miss the answer to the prayer because he didn't answer it the way we told him we wanted it answered. And we've missed the answer because we're looking at it being done the way we suggested to him. Or the really good news is when he does answer and you realize, wow, God, you did it much better than what I was thinking. God, your answer was just so much better. I got blessed, this person got blessed, and somebody else got blessed in the process. And you're able to just say, God, thank you. Thank you you didn't listen to me. Thank you, God. And you know, when we pray, we need to be ready to be able to take no. That no can be an answer. You know, uh, not just say doing it the way he, that we think is the way it should be done. And it says, I have hoped in your judgments. I confidently wait with expectation on your judgments. How hard is that for most of us to wait? Just to wait. Not, not, even, not even on just thinking about to wait on God. <laughs> well, for most people, God, I want it and I want it yesterday. Or God, I want it and I wanted it last week and you're really slow. <laughs> and how often is that what we do? God has this penchant for giving us something at the last moment. God, I need to pay this bill. I start praying for it for a week, you know, three weeks in advance. God, I really am needing to pay this bill. I'd like to get it paid. It's two weeks away. You know, one week later. God, I'm kind of getting nervous about this. You haven't paid this bill. You haven't given me the way to make this money yet for this bill. Two days before the bill's due. God, <laughs> uh, the the collector is going to be at my door here in uh, 48 hours. And then just hours before it's time, God does something to give you what it is you need. We need to learn just to be patient. God will give us what we need, and if we don't need it, then He'll take it away from us. Sometimes it's not the end of the world to lose something that we thought was so important. God, I really need this money to pay pay my car payment, I know the car payment's five hundred dollars a month, but uh, you know, you guys think that's big. You look on the TV sometimes. And look at these guys advertising their seven, eight hundred dollar payments for their fancy cars. Uh, car payments can be very high on a new car. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, you know, and that was my point. God might be saying losing this car might be the best thing in the world for you. You could save the money and actually buy a car you can afford to drive that's not going to be cost as much to insure. So he might just say, no, I'm not giving you that payment, but this guy is going to give you a, a, an older car that the insurance is going to be less than and you will actually be able to survive. You know, we never know, but you know, when we're so focused on, God, I need this, I need this car, it's, it, it's, it's luxurious, God. I, it, it is a wonderful car, and God's saying, you don't need it. And he doesn't answer that prayer. He turns around and gives you another one. You don't know how he's going to answer. You don't know how to. But we put our trust in his judgment, that God knows what's best. The statement that I quote so often, that God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. You know, when I pray and I don't know everything and I tell God how we should answer my prayer, what presumption we have there because he knows everything. He knows what is the best way to answer our prayer. And we don't. And yet so often we're going to go, God, uh, I really think you must do it this way, God. God, my child is in danger. You've got to rescue them today. And God says, no, I want them to hit rock bottom so that they will turn to me. If I rescue them today, they won't turn to me. And we're going as a parent, no, God, don't do that. <laughs> God, uh, they're going to hit bottom. They're going to lose their home. They're going to lose everything they have and be in Skid Row. And God goes, I know. And in Skid Row, they're going to end up in the mission. And in the mission, they're going to realize that they need me and finally turn to me. And we're going, God, don't do that. Don't, don't put them down there in Skid Row. And God's going, no, I need, they need to go there. Now, is that the story for everybody who goes? No, but God oftentimes will use that. How many times is that somebody's story? And I hit bottom, I had no other place to go and I finally turned to God. That's a testimony for a lot of people when they turn to God. I was a drunk, I I lost my job, I lost my big house, my wife divorced me, I lost my kids, and I was on skid row. I went from the top of the world to the bottom. And then all of a sudden, I realized I needed God How many times has that story been given over and over in times in in testimonies that I've heard? Does everybody have to go that bad? No, not everybody has to go that bad. But God also knows that some people have to go that bad because they won't listen to anything less than that. And God knows. God knows what we need to change us. And David is writing, I put my hope, my confidence in your judgments, God whatever you decide. I'm going to put my hope in you, what you want. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. I wish this was true. this should be our, this should be our prayer. We should write this on a on a piece of paper in front of us. so shall I keep your law forever and ever, continually, forever and ever. I know that I don't always keep his laws that, that easily. The more I've walked with him, the easier I do and the better I do at it. But you know, he's saying that I'm going to put you first, God, in all my decisions. Did David always put God first in all of his decisions? No, not all of them. You know, when he came to the camp and he came to fight Goliath, he was definitely putting God first who is this uncircumcised Philistine who who dares challenge our God you know you know his he was upset that somebody challenged God and you know his brothers are all saying quiet quiet you know quit being so obnoxious but word got out and they heard it and Paul and Saul heard it can you imagine Saul looking at David and David saying well this you know I've killed a bear and a lion you know and you know, in the defense of my sheep. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like a bear and a lion because God will put him in my hand. Can you picture Saul, king of all of Israel, whole army at his disposal. And here's this young, you know, pugnacious, (laughs) young teenager saying, I'm not afraid of that giant you know, God let me kill a lion and a bear, you know, they were pretty big as far as I'm concerned, and God let me kill them. This, this Philistine will be nothing. He's challenged God. It's, God is going to kill him. And, you know, you he is, but he is sheep, you yeah, But, you're just a shepherd. Yeah. but can, have you ever thought about what this meant for Saul to send David out? He's got a whole army of men that are trained warriors. And he sends a shepherd out to go kill, go fight the giant who has been a warrior since his youth, who has had these battles hundreds of times probably and defeated everybody who's ever faced him. The Philistines are absolutely sure that, that Goliath is going to win because nobody has, has beaten him. No one, even he's nine, he's 9 foot 6. Even the male adult is 5 foot, maybe 6 foot. Goliath towers over even a full-size adult, and they send out a young teenage shepherd to fight him. You could picture this. The Israelites were probably, Saul, have you gone insane? You know, You're sending a shepherd <laughs> out to fight the giant? You know, he tried putting his armor on before. Then he says, "I can't go out and do this because I'm not, I'm not used to how to use this." You know, you can picture the generals. There were generals around Saul. You're not even thinking. You're not seriously thinking about this, are you, King? <laughs> and he's going, oh, "Well, nobody else is willing to go fight him." <laughs> and you know, he's probably turning to the generals, "Are you willing to go out and fight Goliath?" He's the only one in all the camp that's willing to even go out. And he sends a shepherd out to fight a giant, who has trust in God's word. This Philistine had challenged God, okay, because he didn't challenge just Saul; he was challenging the God of Israel to come out and, and defeat him. And David said, "Fine, we'll send. I'll be his representative." How often do we not? go out for God we back away from it because we have this fear because we don't trust God David trusted God yet later on in his life the verse starts out in the time of the year when when Kings go out to the war David stayed home and you know that when you're not where you're supposed to be something bad is coming and sure enough this is when he has the affair with Bathsheba he should have been at the battlefront, not sitting in his home, looking for trouble. Oftentimes we do the same thing because we're not where we're supposed to be according to God, we get in trouble. You know, we saw that movie Friday night and the girl ended up getting date raped because she was someplace she really shouldn't have been. Not that it was saying that it was would have been okay, but you know, otherwise, but if she had not been there, it wouldn't have happened. How many times do bad things happen to us because we are where we're not supposed to be? It on God. Well, of course, you always blame it on God. Even if you get in trouble for being where you're not supposed to be, you will still blame God. Adam and Eve ate the, ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and what did they do? They blamed others. It's not my fault. Adam says, not my fault, God. You gave this woman, so God, is actually your fault. But if you don't want to accept the blame God, it's her fault. She gave it to me. But you gave her to me, God, so it's really your fault. You know, uh, how often do we do that? Blame God for things that we bring into our own life and not accept the blame. That is what repentance and confession is all about. I say that it is sin and I admit that I'm the one that sinned. Not I got tricked into sin, not I, got, I, I fell into sin, not God, it's your fault because you didn't keep me out of sin. God, I sinned against you. I confess, I say that it is a sin and I agree with you. I will keep your law for continually forever and ever. Oh, that we can have that be so true, that we keep God's law in any situation. We look at somebody like Joseph. You know, Justin's an amazing character, you know, has these visions that his brothers are going to bow down to him, including his father is going to bow down to him, gets his brothers all jealous. They sell him into slavery. And, you know, I love it because their brothers say, when they sell him into slavery, now let's see what's going to happen to this dreamer's dreams. (laughs) Little did they know that they were playing right into God's hands by selling him into slavery. Then he goes down there, and he's a young, strapping young man, somewhere between the ages of 17 and you know, probably only about uh, 25 or so. And Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him <laughs> and aggressively tries to take him to bed. You know, and you, if you really think about this, how amazing it is. This is a man, a young man, in the prime of his life. He's a slave. He doesn't have any you know, prospects as a slave. And the boss's wife takes an eye on him. He could have very easily said, "Well, you know, this is this is my fair due. This is my benefit for being sold into slavery. My God put me here. I don't care about what He says." And yet he says, "I'm going to honor God. I will honor God and not sin." Oh, if we can just be that—to obey God's laws even when we could make all kinds of excuses on why it should be something different. He says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Liberty. Liberty is an interesting word. Uh, I don't know if it was so much in the army, but I know in the Navy they talked about liberty. You know, you went on liberty. That meant that you were free to do what you wanted for a period of time. You got to leave the ship, and when you're on the ship, you did what you were told 24-7 because you were on duty the whole time. But when you went on liberty, you were free to do what you wanted to do within reason. You could not do anything that would shame the uniform or, or get you into trouble, but you were free to go out and do something. I walk at liberty when I seek God's precepts, his rules. If I'm seeking to obey his rules, I can do whatever I want within those rules. You know, I think about this. As Christians, we have great liberty and freedom because God's laws are really not that strict when you really come down to it. Yes, I can't do the things that are going to hurt me, but how much room do we have to do all the things that are good for us? God says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. And I've thought about that, you know, how do they herd wild cattle? You know, cattle that graze on wild land. They they keep them moving toward a big wide fence that gets narrower and narrower and narrower until it gets to a chute that leads to a truck or a pen. You know, nowadays it leads them straight to a truck. And that truck usually heads to the stockyards. (laughs) Wide is the gate, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. We go through a very narrow spot to go to life, but once it comes out of that narrow spot, how much freedom do we have with God? We're his children. It opens up into the greatest freedom that we have. Ultimately, it opens up to heaven. The total place of freedom. Everything is opened up. As long as I follow and seek after his precepts, I can do anything I want. I'm at liberty to do what I want as long as I'm following his precepts. Here's God's precepts. Do these and you will be okay. The freedom of following God's rules. The world looks at it, well, if I follow God's rules, I won't have any fun. I have have so much fun it's not even funny. And I don't have to get drunk and, and have an affair or anything else to have fun. I have lots of fun with God. And you know the good news is I remember the fun that I have, and I'm not ashamed of the fun that I have. I get to have fun, and not because it's in God, and I don't have to wonder, you know, what did I do while I was having fun last night? I, I've had a couple of workers that would do that. You know, man, I think I had a good time last night. I don't remember anything I did. I'm going, well, what makes you think? Well, I felt good this morning. I'm going, yeah. What did you do that you're ashamed of? I don't know. I have no idea what I did last night, but I had lots of fun. I'm going. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> if you have to get so drunk or so stoned that you can't remember what you did, and, and then say you had fun, you've got a problem with your life. You know, to be able to go out and have fun with God and do what God wants, it was a lot of fun going out Saturday and talking to people about Jesus. You know, just talking to them. There wasn't a whole lot of them, but it was fun talking to them, and and bringing God into the into their life. Being able to pray with a couple people and say, you know. Let's help you. The one girl who was feeling bad and we prayed for her that God God would be able to heal her. Just being able to talk to somebody about God, that's a lot of fun. And that's following his precepts. Go out and share him. How easy it is to seek after God. And you know, the more we realize that we're at liberty by following his rules, that it is a fun thing to follow his rules, that there is great joy in following his rules, doesn't it get easier to do what he wants you to do and the more you do it and the more you see that it has been good? You now the world says, well, you follow his rules and you're not going to have any fun. You're gonna, it's going to be a boring life if you you can't drink, you can't sleep around, you can't lie, you can't steal, all these things that they want to do. And it's boring to do that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know. I've had a very exciting life and it's been a lot of fun. And I don't have to worry about police coming knocking at my door to arrest me because of all the, all the fun that I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or some jealous jealous husband coming along to take care of me because I had fun <laughs> you know, uh, going to the doctor and finding out that you have an STD because you had fun waking up in the hospital because you OD on the drugs because you were having fun waking up in the hospital because you were driving under the influence and you because you were having fun worse yet finding out that in that accident you killed some some whole family of children with children Oh, that's really fun <laughs> finding out that kind of stuff. The lies that the world tells, and the sad fact is that even as Christians, oftentimes we buy into the lie. You know, and the world buys into them all the time, and think that they're just having fun. They're having, enjoy, enjoying their life. Verse 40, 46, "I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed." I love this verse because I have known so many people personally known a few that have done this but also have read the biographies of people that have lived as a witness before God as missionaries and end up standing before kings yeah standing before kings to give give what's going on they get they get famous they're just just following God just doing what he says feeding the poor helping the helping the helpless And the next thing you know, their reputation gets up before a king or a magistrate, and they say they call them to them and say, "What can we do to help you do more of what you're doing, or what is it that you're doing? Why are you doing it?" And then you get to share the gospel with them, and they may even help you. Says, "I will stand. I will speak my of your testimony also before kings, rulers, magistrates. You do what God wants, and you may get recognized." and lift it up, and you get a chance to speak to the top people. Paul got to speak to so many of the kings. Yeah, he got to speak to Herod, he got to speak to Felix and Felix was almost you persuade me. And eventually he did get to speak to Caesar. Lost his head because of speaking to Caesar, but he had to speak to Caesar, which is what he wanted to do. And he knew that he would probably die when after he talked to Caesar, but he wanted to tell Caesar the gospel. How much of us are afraid to talk to anybody about the gospel? The more we're willing to talk to the gospel of the people at our own level, the more chances we're going to have of being able to reach other people with the gospel message. But if you won't speak to everyday people in your life, you're not going to speak to other people. You know, think about Greg Glory. He's an evangelist. He talks to lots of people about Jesus all the time. He recently was invited to the White House and they got to talk to Trump about the gospel and other things. He and other different pastors all got to talk to Trump about the gospel. You know, why was he selected? Because he spoke to all the other people about the gospel. You know, if you're not going to speak to the people you know and that are in your life about the gospel, you're never going to be put in a position to talk to anybody famous or rich or, or knowledgeable because God knows you won't speak to them. You'll be in so, so much awe of them, you'll be afraid to speak to them. You know, if you can't speak to your own neighbor, how are you going to talk to anybody else and give the testimony? And it says, I will and will not be ashamed. Again, I go back to David, standing before Saul. This uncircumcised Philistine has challenged God. It's not me who's going to defeat him. God is going to put, basically saying, Saul, you could go out there and beat this uncircumcised Philistine because God is the one who's going to beat him. I can do it, you can do it, anybody in your army can do it because God is going to give you the victory. I just have enough faith that God is going to do it. You want to say something, Billy? I think, I think sometimes that we don't. That we don't. I think sometimes we, we, don't, we don't think it's going to mean anything. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to talk to somebody else, most of the time, you're going to get a negative, a negative feedback. A negative... The unfortunate thing is that that is usually what we think when we're talking to people. Yeah. The good news, and I'm hoping the people who went out on the, the, the soul winning time yesterday is, that people don't usually get negative about it. There's a number of things that happens. When you witness to people, as long as you're doing it with love and concern, Number one, they're touched. You know, they may not agree with your your what you're telling them, but they're like this person may may be kind of a nutty person, but they seem to believe what they're talking about, and they're really here because they care. Especially when you're out witnessing on 104 degree with very little shade. Okay, there's something wrong with these people, but they must really believe their message. But you know, when you're loving somebody and you're saying, you know, I just want to make sure that you're not going to hell, and I'm going to show you how to get to heaven, or whatever way you want to approach it by they look at it and say, okay, I may not agree with this person, but very few people are gonna get angry at you. you know, they might, especially if they've had a background where people have you know, crammed religion down their throat you know, and not presented it in a loving manner. But you know, I've done a lot of street evangelism over my life, and well, I shouldn't say a lot, some. <laughs> and I've only had maybe one or two people really get mad at me in that time. I've done lots of door knocking. I've had a lot of doors slammed in my face over the years. But, you know, most people are genuinely touched that you care enough to at least give the message. Whether they believe it or buy it or not, they usually care. And when you say that to people, nobody believes it until they start doing the evangelism and start finding out that people are really touched and really care. Uh, there was a guy, a pastor I, that I know of, uh, he was knocking on doors in, in, uh, in Maine. And he went to knock on this door and the guy slammed his door in, door in his face. So about a month later, we went back to the same door, knocked on the door. The guy dumped a a bucket of ice water on his head. And he walked away. He went back another month, or a couple months later, knocked on the door. The guy dumped a bucket of water on his head again in the middle of winter. Now, this comes the fourth time. He goes, God, I don't want to go to this door anymore. (laughs) This guy's been really abusive. Knocked on the door. The guy opened the door. And it is you. He he pulled him inside. He goes, I knew you'd be coming back. And I need you to tell me what it is you want to be that you've been wanting to tell me okay persistence sometimes is what it takes you No, know, are we always going to get a good response no no there's not always going to be a good response more good responses than bad I'm going to tell you that right now there are more good responses than bad but we just stay faithful give the testimony tell people what God does who who he is what he's done god has answered so much and think you want to think about this what has god done in your life what prayers has he answered in your life what peace has he given in your life how much has he given you in your walk if you can't think of anything then i'm going to challenge you to think a little harder about what he's done for you or if you really can't think of anything that he's done in your life i would challenge you to get to know him because you probably don't know him as as your as your as your father as your as your father and as your lord because i can't picture him not doing anything for his child so we want that testimony. God, I'm following your precepts. I have a testimony of being obedient to you. and I'm going to share it. Your strongest testimony you have is what God has done for you. Because nobody can tell you that what God has done for you is not, didn't happen. When God took my temper away from me, it was a wonderful thing, and I changed. And people noticed. When I wasn't ready to beat them up every time I turned around because they looked at me wrong, they noticed. My young friends noticed (laughs) that I was different. It was a dramatic change overnight. Nobody's gonna tell me that God didn't do it because I know that he did it. He made me a new creation, literally. Not 100%, not in every area of life, but the one that most affected me was changed. Verse 47, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I have loved. Oh, I, if everybody could just fall in love with God's Word, I'd be the happiest pastor in the world if everybody in our past, in our church fell in love, literally in love, with God's Word. Because that's where all of it comes from. Anything that we want to find out comes from His Word. And just, he says, I delight, I take joy in your commandments I, that I have loved. How much time do we spend in God's Word? Is it... God, I read my verses today. I spent my, however long it takes you to read the verses. I spent my 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes with you, God. I'm ready to go about my day. You know, if that's all you did, that's better than most Christians, unfortunately, sad to say. The surveys say that probably 70 to 80% of all Christians do not read their Bible daily. May not read their Bible at all between Sunday and Sunday. That's sad. That's sad. This is our spiritual food. We need to be in love with it. We need to be in love with God's word. Reading the Bible is better than, than not reading it. Studying the Bible is much more important than any either one of those. I think we use excuses like you know, I, I listen to it on radio all the way in the town, but you know what I'm saying? It really it becomes our we we exchange it. We extend all the, all the things of God for, for the lies of Satan. Now, well, yeah, but I mean, like we listen to uh, two guys on the way into town and, and then the two guys on the way out of town. That becomes our Bible. Finders. That would be better than, some, than many Christians you as know, well. I agree that, but it's still, it's still falling short. Now. Still falling short of where we should be. Uh, Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Wherewithal shall a young man keep his way by taking heed to your commands? You now, it is so important because we really truly want to walk with God and walk in the light and walk without stumbling and, and do the things God wants. It must be by spending time in his word and delighting in his word. Yeah, I love to study God's word. I love to share what I've studied with God's word. You know, it's fun to me to be able to tell people, you know, look at this. Look at what God showed me. And, you know, I had the privilege of being a pastor. I have the privilege of being teaching Bible studies. And I have always taught Bible studies. Even if I do a home Bible study, I teach. But you can ask my, my family, you know, so many times I'll be sitting there and I'll get excited. You know, look at this. Look what God just showed me on this word, you know. And, and then sometimes I'll get a look like, oh, here we go again. You know, another, another revelation from God that he's gotten, you know. And I'm not criticizing them. But, it's, you, know, it's, you know, it happens that frequently that it's like, oh, another one. Another one. <laughs> yeah. So well, lately, I just wait until I get to teach to the, teach to everybody else, rather than trying to, you know, get that excited. But you know, it's fun to be able to do this. There's a couple of guys at the prison. They will come to me and ask me Bible questions, or, you know, and we'll just talk about the Bible. And you go, you know, what I talked about yesterday in the message, and you know, I'll share with them what I talked about yesterday in the message, or you know, answer their questions. And they will go, wow, you just know this stuff, and it's it's who I am and you know this is something it's not because I'm a pastor that I'm this way I've been this way all my life when I was first got saved I listened to Christian kids shows on Saturday and they advertised a Bible study correspondence Bible study at age 10 I started doing a correspondence Bible study by age 14 I had run out of correspondence Bible studies from this children from children's Bible hour Still in existence today. They've changed their names to uh, something else, Kids Corner or something, but they're still in existence. I'm gonna have to write them a little email message and tell them that they are the reason that I'm a pastor today, because they really are. They put me in a deep love for God. After After that, they introduced me to Moody Bible Institute's correspondence courses. At age 15, I'm doing seminary level work on a correspondence course, learning God's word. Huh? I like the kids so But, you know, I yeah. fell in love with God's word. I wanted to know everything that was in God's word. Why do I have answers for people when they ask me the questions without even having to do a mo- lot of study most of the time? Because I have studied his word and made it so much part of who I am that it really is who I am. When I first moved to Kingman, I worked at the, at the Popeye's. And the general manager, after I left there, I met the general manager a couple years later and after I'd been here at this church. And he goes, well, what are you doing these days? He goes, I'm a pastor of a church. He goes, I knew that. I knew you'd be a pastor of the church. He goes, you lit up when you talked about God. You lit up when you talked about the Bible. He goes, there's just no, no, no hope that you wouldn't have been in that. Is that the way we love God? When we're talking about him, do we light up? Do we really get animated when we're talking about God and his word. The things that he's doing for us. I will delight myself in your commandments which I have loved. When we talk about, when, when when you meet a teenager or a young person who's in love, there's that glow about them, especially when they're talking about that person they're in love with. Whether it's going to be their love of their life or not, there's that love you talk to somebody who's been married for years and decades, and there may not be that glowing love, but they start talking about their, their spouse. And you go, you just know that they're still in love. Why? Because there's that delight. You can hear it in their voice. When we're sharing, the, sharing God with people, are we doing it out of duty and people can tell? Or are we doing it because we love him with all of our heart and we want them to love him? People know the difference. You know the difference when people are really and truly in love with something. When somebody's in love with their sport so that they love, to, you know, and all they can do is talk about how great their team is, and their team's in the cellar, but they're going to make a comeback and be in the be in the big game at the end of the season. You know, and you go, yeah, you really, you you really love your team. You you have a lot of hope. They're in the they're in the cellar, and they're going to be in the cellar at the end of the year, and you're convinced that they're going to be at the World cities at the end of the year. But you know, that love, that, that delight shows up. Do we have that for God's word? Do we have that for God? When we're talking to people, do they know that we love God with everything that we have because there's nothing else out there? If not, this would be another verse I'd put on my mirror and, I'd start, and I would say, God, help me. Help put me so that I will delight in your commandments, which I have loved. Teach me to love your commandments, God. Are you getting the picture that I'm looking at these verses and saying, if you read a verse in the Bible and it's not you and you look at it and say it should be, start meditating on it. Start putting it in your prayer. God, I really want this to be part of who I am. When we read in the scriptures, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, and you're not doing that. You might want to put that prayer in your in, verse in your prayer. you might want to put it on your mirror. you might want to say it and med- meditate it on it all the day. God, I really want to be able to rejoice in everything. It says right there, it's your will. Did you ever want to know God's will? <laughs> That's a verse that tells you exactly what His will is, that you rejoice in everything. That's His will. He's got other parts of his will, First Thessalonians 5:17, I think it is. But he has other things in his world. But, you know, when we read these verses and we say, this is not who I am, then we need to be able to say, God, I want to make it who I am. I want this to be who I am. and I want you to change me because you love me that much and I want it to be who I am. God, help me. Help me to be what it is. And we need to be looking at these verses and saying, God, I am looking at this. Excuse me, it's 18... 18, not 17. <laughs> the last verse in this section. My hands also will I lift up unto your commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in your statutes. Do we lift up our hands to God's commandments? Lift up your hands. What does lifting up your hands signify? I surrender, my hands are empty. That's what it shows. God my hands are empty I don't have anything unless you fill them consecrate me my hands are empty when we lift our hands to God when I lift my hands to his word my hands are empty God fill them fill them with what you want me to have your commandments your commandments God again he says which I have loved. (laughs) God I love your word I love your commandments help me and it says i will meditate on your statutes meditate masticate think about mull over you know if you wanted to really memorize a scripture meditate on it meditate on it if you th- if you spent an entire day or two meditating on a verse you would have it memorized plain and simple I have a friend who's memorized a lot of the Bible, and how did he memorize it? He would just study it so much to, in preparation for teaching that it just, he just thought about it all day, all week long. He thought about it, huge first sections of verses. He thought about them so much and meditated on them that he knew so many of the verses. He, sometimes he knew the whole section because he had meditated on it, he had thought about it. God, you said this, what exactly did you mean? Have you ever torn apart some of these verses and said, God, why did you use this word? What's special about this word? We did it with liberty. Liberty is a pretty powerful word when you think about it. Freedom. Freedom to do what you want within the scope of a certain boundaries, but freedom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But again... We memorize these words. Do we think about what we're memorizing sometimes? Do we meditate on them? You know, I've shared with you, one of my favorite verses right now is Galatians 2.20, I am, for I am crucified with Christ. I memorized that verse when I was 15 years old. That verse has only come to really mean something to me in probably about the last decade and a half, that that verse has really come alive with all of its power. So meditate, think about it. And, you know, put these verses in your mind. Just put them in your mind. Eventually God will bring them up and you'll you'll meditate on them. But, you know, it's important. And I always ask, pray for God, like, I don't want to just uh, read those uh, first. I want to learn it. Mm-hmm. I want to learn what it means. So when I do read it, I think, like, trust in the Lord. Okay, it going to all my heart. Mean that's I have to do it. Okay. And that's fine you're making it alive you're making it personal you're trying to understand it you're and that is a form of meditating on it God what exactly is it that you're wanting me to learn that, from all of this meditating is to sit down and go oh, well, let's use that one God what is it what do you what does it mean to trust what how do, what are you talking about when you say trust and trying to figure out what does trust mean? okay trust in what you Lord okay who who are you Lord may be your next question uh, you know, in all your ways wow all all my ways God you want me to put all my ways in in you Yeah. You know, yeah you know, and you just go through each word and just concentrate on God what is it exactly you mean what does it mean to acknowledge you God okay does that just mean yes hi, hi God you're up there no it means to turn over everything to Him. but you see that's what meditation involves We look at every single word. How do I apply this, God? Okay, now, God, I've gone through every word. How does this whole verse work in my life? How does the whole thing work in my life? And then how does this context of this verse (laughs) work in my life? Meditate on something. In all the other religions, meditate is empty your mind of all thoughts so the demons can tell you what what to think. God says, I want you so focused on me and my word Nothing else gets in except me. That's meditation. Fried in is a good thing. It's branded in, fried into my brain. I cannot forget it because I have made it so much of who I am, and I have given it a place. Line upon line, precept to precept, here a little, there a little. Okay, he puts together truths one upon the other. Then you learn this truth, and then and then. After you've learned enough proofs, you get to this point where God now starts tying all the truths together. Remember back when you studied trust in the Lord, trust in me? And I want you to rejoice evermore. Why do we rejoice evermore? Because we trust in him. And he now takes those two separate verses and he brings them together and he puts a little bit of cement between them and says, "These these are linked statements you trust in me because you are because you rejoice in everything because you trust in me and you know that I am truth and that I am going to give you good things then you bring in along this this whole thing of you know god you've promised that all things work together for good well god you've, you know, you you want me to rejoice why how can i rejoice because you're going to work everything for good Oh, there is no temptation us but such as common. Wow, God, I can rejoice in that, because do you see how things start linking together? And he'll, he'll link verses together for you as, you as you get more and more into his word. You meditate upon his word. We've been reading through the scriptures for five years here, and, and I'm hearing more and more people going, I read this, and I remember the story that they're talking about now. You know, especially when you're in the New Testament, and all of a sudden you go, oh, they were talking about, the the murmuring at the at the at the water oh that was my Ma- where they murmured and Moses had to pray to God and he made the water sweet with the stick being thrown in it oh the the, the, the law oh I know what that is you know w- when Paul says we're the tabernacle of God and we go oh yeah I remember I remember reading in, Le- in Leviticus and Exodus the, about the tabernacle and all the pictures of Jesus in the tabernacle you know and you start reading these in there and you go, oh, you know, when Paul talks about the tabernacle, oh, he's talking about something so sweet when we think about what the tabernacle represents. And we talked about the, the coverings on the holy place and the holy of holy places, holy of holies, where you walk in and it's covered with red, covering the black, which covered the white, which covered the, the man in his perfect creation, you know, and you go through it and you say, This is man, the fall of man, walking through. As you're walking out of the Holy of Holies, it's the opposite way. Fallen man being redeemed. Paul is thinking about this when he says, you're the tabernacle. When God walks out of your tabernacle, he sees the picture of his grace as he sees fallen man being covered by his blood and totally being covered. The power of the imagery. But you don't know the imagery until you read (laughs) And study the original we see God's redemption with all the wall capped with silver silver is redemption all the walls capped with silver now, beautiful picture we see the brass judgment as the basis that separates the wall from the earth the earth is man and the wall is God's God's new life and judgment is what brought that about Oh, when you think about the tabernacle, when you read about the tabernacle and you think about what the tabernacle represents, you know, we start tying together God's word and seeing the power of God's word. When we see Jesus called our Passover lamb, you know, and we think about the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb delivered the people from death. But you know the wonderful thing about the Passover lamb that made it really hard? They had to select the lamb four days before it died. And they brought it out of the flock and brought it into their house and made a pet out of it for four days. And examined it. Which made it harder to kill. Because now this, is, this isn't just a lamb taken out of the, of the flock that the only one who really cares about is the shepherd who named it. You know, the kids have named that sheep. They have hugged that sheep. They have played with that That's sheep. sheep no and the perfect no blemish sheep. And then you tell the kids, okay. I've got to take this lamb and take it to the temple and sacrifice it. Because it's dying for you, for your protection. Jesus ministered for 4 years to be ex- to be examined by the people, to be to have some people fall in love with him during that period of time, just to die for our sins. But do we see the power of him being the passover lamb without understanding the passover practice? No. This is why I share with people I want everybody to study the God's Word. New Christians, I will tell them pretty much stay in the New Testament, get to know the New Testament. But there has to be a point where you get out of the New Testament and start really understanding the pictures of the New Testament by understanding the Old Testament. And you probably need somebody to walk you through most of the Old Testament because it's not real clear a lot of times. Sometimes I'm reading and I go, God, what does it mean? And i go, wow, that's what it means. And then I'll go look it up and somebody says just that, but that's what it means. God will share what it means, but you know, sometimes you just need a teacher to be able to say, this is the power, this is what this verse is talking about. This section has been just a love of God's word. God, nail your word into my heart because I love it so much. That's what this word means, nail, peg. Peg your word in my heart. I love it so much, God, I want it to be the center of all that I've done. Just nail it to my heart make me fall in love with it. Help me to fall in love with it. Keep me delighting in your word. If you delight in his word and you're in love with his word, you're not going to have trouble trying, finding time to read your Bible. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to have all kinds of excuses. What kind of excuses? Well, I had a very busy day to do. I had three doctor's appointments and the, and the car had to go to the shop. You know, I had a very busy day. God, I just didn't have time to read your word. Yeah, But the idea, fall in love with His Word. Yeah, there's nothing that's going to get you through more trials, tribulations, and hard times than falling in love with His Word. Nothing that's going to motivate you more to serve God than falling in love with His Word. Yeah, and all I can do is encourage you. If you don't have it, pray for it. Put some verses. Put these verses about being in love with His Word and memorize them. Put them in your prayer. God, I want you to teach me to fall in love with Your Word. Teach me to delight in your word, because this is what will keep you. It's been said that sin will keep you from the word, or the word will keep you from sin. You know, and if you're not reading the word, you will spend time in sin, and then sin will keep you away from God's word. Oh, I like that. Uh, how do you say read the word and it keeps you sin? Yeah? yeah. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here and. Lord, we ask that you bring each person that goes to this church, not just the ones that are in this study, but each person and each person that listens to this message that they will fall in love with your word and that they will delight in your word and nothing will keep them from your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.